welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We are so glad that you are joining us today. We hope this message inspires you, builds your faith, and encourages you in the things of the Lord. Enjoy the message. The Lord is good. You know, I was just thinking when we say how great is our God, and I, I was thinking you're great regardless of what I say to you, God. You're greatness. You're great, Lord, regardless of what I think about you. But I choose to say you're great this morning. And I, and then, and then the word great felt too small. You know, I, felt, I need another word. And thought you're wonderfully great. You know, you're marvelously great. I, I just wanted to add other words because those just words are not enough to describe him or his goodness to us. And uh, the longer you live as a Christian the more amazed you do become of the romantic love you feel for the Lord. A good, a spiritual romance goes on. It's a, it's a deepening of the relationship. And there's an endearment comes into our hearts when the name of Jesus is spoke. Another thing that happens as well as you grow in the Lord, when you hear the name of Jesus being taken the wrong way, it hurts me. You know, you outside, you hear people saying, Jesus, this, or, you know, they use the Lord's name. And, uh, you know, or they invoke it in a way that's not in worship or esteeming of him. Uh, that the same does something to my heart. And, uh, you know, his is the holy name. His is the name above all names. Praise his lovely name this morning. I want us to, uh, the, 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 the um, title this morning is, let me remember, because I just put it together before service. Jess has always asked me for titles, and I'm not good for titles. But it's called The Leith of God's Grace. The Leith of God's Grace. Praise God. If you have a Bible this morning, turn to the book of Philippians. And we're going to look at chapter 3 today uh, in, the, in the Lord. You know, as you're just turning today, let me give you a little bit of background in, in, on the Philippian. You know, this is the city of Philippi in the northeast of Greece. It was Macedonia at the time. It was a very ancient city, even when Paul had written this letter. Now, Paul, the Apostle Paul, it was the second missionary journey. He had Silas with him, he had Timothy with him. Some think Luke was with him as well, who wrote the, the Acts of the Apostles. But certainly those two were with him on that second journey um, as he was preaching the gospel. You know the great story of the Apostle Paul. He was a Jew of Jews, which we'll read in a moment. He was really against the gospel. He was against Jesus. He was a persecutor of the church. Uh, he got violently, religiously, violently angry. It's horrible to think that you can put those two words together, religious and violence, because it's not the God of the Bible, anyhow. But uh, he became wonderfully converted. And um, he had a, a dream, he had a vision of a man in Macedonia um, calling to him in his dream. And so he, he went to that part of the world in his second missionary journey. Pastor Steve would have talked about uh, the Philippi jailer on Wednesday night, that Wednesday service, wonderful message there. If you want to scroll back, have a watch of that online. And so, you know, he's, he's on his way to this church. He, he has a lot of affections for this church. You read it. He's writing it now, actually, this letter we're reading, Philippians. It's actually written when Paul, 10 years later, when Paul is in prison. So he goes, he goes and preaches there for the first time around AD 51. Now Jesus died at AD 33. So AD 51, Paul is preaching the gospel in Philippi. And um, it's, it's, a, it's a very, it's an unusual type of city. It's a very ancient city. And it was a retirement home for mainly high-ranking Romans who served in the army. So it was a very loyal city to Rome. Because, uh, as I said, they, 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 they literally deliberately put these men and women in there, gave them uh, retirement packages, and they, they basically kept, kept it loyal to Rome. Um, the language would have been Greek predominantly, even though the official language was, uh, was, it, was Latin. 
because of the Roman Empire. But most people didn't speak Latin at that time. Most people spoke Greek. And so that's just the sort of city, the sort of background. He's there a while. There's not a lot of Jews in that part of the world. So the church is predominantly a Gentile church. That's people who are not Jews who came into the gospel. So this is, this is, this is predominantly Gentile like us. Most of us are not from Jewish backgrounds or from Catholic, Protestant, atheist, whatever background. Um, you know, we're Irish, English, African. Uh, so our lineage is not that of a Jewish lineage or culture. So the church was kind of like our own, you know, kind of a multi-nation. It was a very cosmopolitan place because of the Roman Empire as well. Pretty rich uh, part of the world. And so he has a lot of affection for the, uh, for, the, uh, for the city of Philippi and the church there. One of his earliest converts was a woman called Lydia. And uh, it's, it's, it's believed that Paul would have met Lydia, you know, in a place where... Where he was going out to pray, it was a river. This is a lot of kind of background history, not in the Bible, but this is what's believed about him. And he would have met her. She was a, a seller of purple. She was a woman of means. Um, that means she had wealth, you know, or she was wealthy, a businesswoman, an industrious woman. And she and her family became among the first converts uh, to Paul's ministry there. And uh, so Paul has got some great memories of uh, of Philippi. But he also has got some difficult memories because of Wednesday night service we would have heard how it was there Paul and Silas are on the way to a prayer meeting. Basically there's a move of God on and that there was missionaries and on the way to a prayer meeting of all things. It's not that they're on to go to work or they're going to Disney World or they're going on a vacation. They're going to serve the Lord and sometimes bad things happen even when you want to serve the Lord. And uh, the circumstances end up where they're being beaten severely, thrown in a prison in the inner city, of a, in, in their sanctum of a prison, really. And, uh, you know, so they have memories of being beaten, being kept in stocks, but also the move of God, because the Philippian jailer came to know the Lord and his family and more people were added. So he has a lot of love. There's a lot of, there's some pain in it, in, in this book for him. There's, there's a lot of memories going back there. Ten years of relationship when he writes this letter. It's around AD 61. So Paul arrived at AD 51. Ten years later, AD 61 is roughly writing this, this letter to them. And he Paul's in prison. And um, so there's a lot of love there. If you go through it, it's one of my favorite New Testament books. I just, there's, there's not this heavy critiquing of the church. It's one of, of a lot of endearment, but yet there's caution given there. Paul's cautioning against even a little bit of strife that can come in between church members. A, a little bit of, you know, a little bit of arrogance. And he, he, he encourages humility and he, he encourages friendship and love in the start of the book. To them, And then as he moves on in chapter 3 where we're going, he's, he's talking about them to beware of certain vices that will bring them back under bondage because there is a liberty for us as Christians. And the liberty is not to live under a bondage of man, but to live under the grace of God and to live with great victory in our lives. And so, you know, they had then Paul at this time of his ministry, everywhere he went to preach the gospel, there was these uh, men that came Basically, they were Judaizers. They were, they, they were probably a, a crossbreed between Christian and Jew. Uh, and they followed them, and they basically tried to muddy the waters of God's grace. Wherever Paul went, these guys turned up to try to confuse the doctrine, to try to confuse the out, outlay of Christianity. And if you can do that at the very beginning, you wouldn't have a gospel today. The enemy could, could come in and, and, and uh, you know, just change one degree of what the Word of God says. It could bring men and women into utter confusion. And that doesn't sound like a lot to us, but it's true. If you start messing with the truth and you start making a, a hybrid of your own understanding, then you end up with what, what we have today, which is religion. And religion has no answers. 
And religion is full of strife and full of anger. And that's what Paul fought against. And so he didn't want them being in any way subverted back towards the thinking by the Judaizers, which was basically an embracing of a lot of Jewish culture and Jewish ritual, circumcision being the main one that they were trying to think that, you know, they were grafted into Israel. Well, that's not true, friends. We are grafted into Christ. Amen. And that's the wonderful thing about it. We are not grafted into Israel. We're grafted into Christ. So even right back in Paul's day, people were trying to say, oh, we're the natural branch and everyone has to be... No, you're natural in the sense that you were, yours was the promises of God and yours was the prophets and the scriptures came through you and the Savior came through you. So it was very natural for you to embrace the understandings of Jehovah or Yahweh. But you turned your back upon the Savior and you crucified him and you, you, you turned away from him. And now the Jew or the Gentile, which was us, that went worshipping the pagan elements and rocks and ants and monkeys. And you go around the world today, you go to India, and they could have got something like two or three hundred million gods, you know, from rocks to rats. I'm not lying. People bow down to these things. And, you know, and I know much as we may laugh in our spirit about it, I think it's very tragic. I think it's very tragic that we, you know, when you corrupt the gospel, you don't give people any hope. They go back to the beggarly elements. So Paul always fought for what was right. He's fought for the truth of the covenant of grace, the new covenant that Christ initiated in his blood. And he did this very solidly. He was commending all the churches he went back to, to make sure that you don't go back into this way of thinking. When I say to you, when you're one degree off, if, you, if you're in a, a ship and you're leaving the Hudson River on your way to Ireland, sailing across the Atlantic, if you're one degree off, you'll end up in a place called France. Who wants to go to France? <laughs> I've got a new French friend here. <laughs> but you'll miss the Emerald. One degree, just one degree. And eventually, if you had enough water, you'd, you'd do a complete 360 turn. Just one degree off. And we know there's 360 degrees in a circle. Do we know that now? Do you remember school days? Okay, so it's so important that you have this right as a Christian and you fight for the truth and you stand for the truth and you live the truth and you defend it and you teach it to your children, you live it in your life, you pass it on as a heritage that will bring light. Thank God that Paul did this because you can imagine if he didn't, imagine the rules and regulations of Judaism you'd have to follow. You know, no mixed fibers in your clothing. Well, that's most of you gone here straight away, you know. You wouldn't be having, you'd never have another rasher again in your life or a sausage, you know. You'd be living under rules and regulations. So that, can you imagine, forget about that, imagine you could be living under the 300 million gods of, of Hindi religions, you know, or the false god of Allah, you know, or, or Buddha, you know, or, and all what comes with it because it's a package. When you start accepting those religions, just look at the countries where they come from. Look at the social deprivation. Look at the lack of human rights. Look at the breakdowns in their, in their entire civilizations held together by violence and vice. But when the gospel comes in and distills into any nation, it, 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 the Bible says it exalts a nation. It, it, righteousness exalts a nation. Righteous thinking exalts a nation. It takes us out of a, 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 a primeval sort of view of the world and brings us and opens up our eyes to technology and life and even emancipating people we don't agree with, you know, to be able to be all they can be and giving people dignity, even though we don't agree with them. Every person in this world has a value to God, is dignified in the eyes of God, and we must love them as brothers and sisters and never lift a hand of violence. If anything, show them kindness. Aren't you so glad 
that the gospel has come into our thinking today. And Paul fought for that. But he also knew that if men can bring you down a religious pattern, then you're going to, you're going to, um, you're going to end up in a, in a dark place. And so Paul has a lot of very happy memories, some difficult memories of uh, Philippi. You know, he, as I said, I don't know about you, I think the beating and being thrown into the stocks in the prison, I think when I handed my cards in as a pastor, I ain't ever going back to being a minister again after that. You know, and I, I, I'm not saying that lightly. I, I think, my, these men were incredible. But you know what? Then I think, maybe not. Maybe it's just that it's an incredible God. And maybe we would endure beatings. And maybe we would endure famine and peril and sword and nakedness. Maybe in all these things he would, he would be honest to his word and make us more than, he would make us more than conquerors. Maybe when those things would befall upon the Irish church or whatever church you're part of, that the goodness of God would then become seen to you. Amen? Not because you're a great person, but because he's a great God. And that a great thought for you this morning, that the excellency of the power is of God and not of us. That God has given promises to you that only he can fulfill. <laughs> and then you can't fulfill them. He promises to fulfill them, you know. Uh, my granddaughter there, I, I, I promised her um, a little present that I've ordered in the post. And every day, is it here yet, Papa? Is it here yet, Papa? Every single day. But, but she knows it's coming, do you understand? And the promises in your life as well, you can say, Lord, is it today? Is it today I see a greater revelation? of all that you promised to me, amen, because you're certainly going to see it. So Paul, he loved the Philippian church and great history there and, and great families, one for the Lord. And now he's writing this letter is with a lot of endearment and love to them. But uh, I, I want to just bring a short teaching this morning from some of the things that he said. It's a great book. You read it tonight. It's only four chapters. So we'll read. Chapter three, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write this same thing to you is not tedious, but, it, but for you, it is safe. I love it because he's in prison. Hear it. Well, rejoice in the Lord because he's off a swan and on some beach somewhere. No, he's in prison. And he's writing this. There's something about this man that regardless of where he is, he knows what it is to touch God. Then he warns them, beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. He's not about those Jew desires. That's what he called them. He called them dogs and mutilators. Beware of the circumcision who worship God. In, for we are the circumcision who worship God in spirit. Rejoice in Christ and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone thinks he may have confidence in the flesh. I more so circumcised on the eighth day. The stock of Israel. The tribe of Benjamin. A Hebrew of Hebrews concerning the law. A Pharisee concerning zeal. I persecuted the church concerning the righteousness which is of the law. I was blameless. But what things were gained to me. I have counted them loss. Indeed I count all things loss. For the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ my Lord. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And count them rubbish. That's a mild translation. Okay, just going to tell you that now. That's a mild translation. It's another word which I won't use from this pulpit. Okay, That I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having my own righteousness which is from the law. But which is true faith in Christ. The righteousness which is from God by faith. So in other words when I put my faith in God. God gives a righteousness to me. That I may know him. The power of his resurrection. The fellowship of his sufferings. Being conformed to his death. And if by any means I maintain the resurrection from the dead. Now this is where I want to go this morning. Now that I have 
No, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may, may lay hold of that which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward towards those things which are ahead, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. What an exhortation from this incredible man. Uh, you know, friends, we want, we should, we need to desire, we need to ask ourselves, you know, are we ready? Are we waiting on God to do one thing is to press forward, to press on in God. Amen. To move forward in your Christian faith. To move into things that you've never experienced in your relationship with God. To move into greater victories in your personal life. To see a greater manifestation of God in the hour and the time that we live in. You know, friends, that's what Paul is exhorting the church. Not that I've already arrived. In other words, I've come into the fullness of everything. But I forget those things that are behind. And I move forward. I press forward to the high calling. In actual fact, I'll I, I come to that word in a minute. There's an interesting word here. We go into the passage. You know, the past must not distract you from proper concentration. Someone once said, it's on the past that our squabbles are built. Everybody has a past. But that past must not rob you of your future. Can you say amen? amen. Whatever your past, friends, it is no right to rob you of your future. Just as the runner forgets the ground that he has trod, he presses on uh, to the finish line. And that's you and I, friends. You and I have been on the road. Some of us have been on 30, 40 years. Some of us are just on the road a few weeks. But it doesn't matter, friends. We forget the road behind. We keep moving forward. That's the idea of the Christian. Pressing on. There's more. There's higher. Whatever you think you've already experienced, you ain't seen nothing yet. Amen. I said you have only scratched the surface. You think just forgiveness of sins is all it's about, all, all that this life is about. Oh, it's about victory. It's about joy and peace in the Holy Ghost. It's a, it's a life of fruit and joy and happiness. It's a life that you can enjoy being in cooperation with God the Father in the salvation of this world. Isn't that a wonderful thing that God says, now that I saved you, I'm going to make you a divine part, a divine nature of reaching this world. My nature will come into you and through you, I'm going to reach this world. You become a cooperator with God in the salvation of the world. Friends, it's not just about paying our bills now and rearing our lovely children. It's much greater than that. You have a real purpose for life. Press in, he's saying. The past can't rob you of that promise. You know, many of us, we can't forget the past. That's the problem. You know, when Paul talks about one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, I press forward. Many of us cannot press forward because we are still not we're still recalling the past. We're carrying the past like a, like a ball and chain. We're defined by you know, other, what people did to us or what we did. We're defined by our failures or other people's failures. And we're trying to press on. And we can't press on because we can't forget. And that's an issue for us. Many of us, you can't move on in God and press into a greater fulfillment of the promises of God because all you can see is your own failure. And that's probably the biggest one for most of us. 
Most of us just brood over our past failures. We brood over our past sins. And all we can see is I failed before, I'm going to fail again. And it robs us of all hope for our present and for our future. And I want to tell you that's a lie from God, from the pit of hell. Brooding over our failures. Brooding over your sin will only increase it. When you become sin-focused or failure-focused as a person, I'm telling you, as you look to that, that's what you become. If that's what defines you, if that's how you keep on looking in some morose morose attitude towards your past all the time and always thinking, oh, it's with me, it's with me, I'm telling you, that's what you get conformed to. That's what becomes, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. I'm going to fall up again. I'm going to mess up again. I'm going to fall by the wayside. I've got a loose mouth. I've got a bad thinking mind. Oh, I've left people down before. And all of a sudden, that starts to define you. and starts to define your present and your future. And the hope of moving forward becomes less inviting because you're carrying with you like a ball and chain, trying to move forward into the promises of God. Repentance must not turn into repining. When you repent... What I mean by repining is that you're not meant to be low-spirited. When you repent, you're not to be low-spirited. When you repent, you're meant to be full of the joy of the Lord because God's forgiven you. When you repent and all of a sudden, well, I've repented, and you walk around low-spirited, then you're not really understanding what has happened. When you have repented, God has forgiven. Hallelujah. You're not to be fretful, low-spirited, Remembering failure will quench all hope of improvement. That's the secret of scripture. If you understand that, if you keep on remembering your failure, and maybe the failures of others, but we'll go there later on, but yours, because we're all about you pressing on, you moving forward in your faith, you going deeper in God, and all of a sudden something comes to your conscience or your mind about your past, about your past performance. And all of a sudden it quenches all hope of, 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 of momentum in your life. And this is the sad thing, isn't it? People regulate their hope by the, uh, by the probabilities of the past. It's like a calculation based upon statistics. I don't know about you, but I've sat under great preachers over the years as a young man, as a young Christian, young teenager even, and coming to the altar, no sooner had I arrived at the altar where I have rededicated my life to the Lord, in my mind says, yeah, but you're going to do that again next week, aren't you? What are you even at that altar for? All of a sudden, I start to look at my track record as a, as a young teenager, which is not going to be always pretty, pretty, okay? And, 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 and I'm going up to that altar, and this fiendish voice is saying, yeah, you're never going to break free. What are you doing up here? Who do you think you are? You are what you are. And I want to say, it robbed me of many Times when God was calling me and I felt there was a liberty and a breakthrough. But oh no, like a calculation in my head, I might get to Thursday and I'm going to fall. And that's like many of us today. We say, oh, it's a great word, Pastor, but I, I don't want to respond. I just know what I'm like. I don't, I don't want another false dawn in my Christian experience. I'm just going to have to be, you know, what I am. And I get saved just by the skin of my teeth. And I'll get to heaven one day, as I said last week, just like those lepers. You know, why do you want to die before you come into the inheritance of God? Why not live in it now? Why wait until you actually die and you come into the glory of God? Why not live in the glory of God now? 
Why not live in the victory of God now? Why not live clean? Why not live where you can stand upright in the presence of God and not hold your head in shame? All these calculations that we these statistics. Because nobody knows it better. You know the statistic for your life. Whatever vice, whatever failure, whatever weakness of the past. You're doing the calculations in your mind. Thinking that this is probably going to happen again. Let me tell you one thing. There's one factor in the spiritual journey. And that's the spirit of God. He can put all past experiences to shame. And he can silence them. Only God can do this friends. And God will do it. Hallelujah. Don't regulate your hope for the future. By the failures of your past. Don't do it Christian. Don't put your, don't think that for one moment, and the Lord said it, is my hand so short that I cannot save? Is his hand too short this morning that he can't utterly deliver his people? Does he just bring you to, uh, you know, to the term of uh, a full term and yet not be able to deliver the baby? No, friends, he's able to bring it about all that he's promised over your life. And so when you look at your past, you're not to regulate it. By those sort of probabilities, that is going to rob your faith. This morning, we're going to move on to this message, and I hope that you'll have hope at the end of it, why you can do that. But also, contentment with the past is also fatal to progress. You know, some of us, you know, well, well, they're back in 1970, we had a great move of God, or back in 1960s. Well, I went through the 60s and 70s as a Christian, well, the 70s more so. They're not as great as you make it out to be. It's very quiet now for those of us who've been around that time. We're content. Contentment with the past is fatal to your progress. Christianity was never meant to, be, to dote over a golden age behind us. It was to expect a golden age to come. Hallelujah. If you think you had that once for all experience of God back in the day and that's all it is. I'm telling you that's a boring Christianity. Not only that friends. It's going to rob you of all future. And you're going to be one of those people living in the past and never living in what God has for you. And robbing you of years of vision. Hence, we must forget the past. past. Even past attainments and successes, we must move ahead. And I say it's important. The most dangerous time for a mountain climber is when he gets so far high that he starts to look back at all the progress he's made. Dangerous time. The mountain climber, the last thing you do is start looking back and looking down. Oh, I've made it 860 meters. Let me have a look. That's where you start falling. Amen. You come a long distance, but you're not to look back. You're still to look forward. Looking back will take your emotion from you. It will take the strength from you. It will take your belief from you. It will make you content where you shouldn't stay content. You should be hungry. You should be moving forward. There's more there for God. There's more there in God. There's more for me to attain. There's more experiences in Christ for us. <coughs> I got this quote off Brooks. Brooks says, feeble natures live in grief. Instead of changing them into the apodigums of experience. And I had to kind of decipher that for myself. And what he's saying is that people that live in this sort of weak nature all the time. They live in constant grief about their past and their failures. Instead of changing them into the apodigums. And apodigum is like, it's like coming up with a saying from a bad situation. You know, when at first you don't succeed, try, try again. You know, when you were kids, your dad would say that, or your school teacher would say that. You know, you tried to do the high jump, or you tried to do this. When at first you don't succeed, try, try again. That's an apodigum. But for the Christian, we got far greater apodigums than that, amen. 
when, he, when you sin, I want to tell you, he's faithful and just to forgive me my sin and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. When I fall, the blood of Jesus Christ still avails from me. Nothing has changed, amen. That's the apologem for the Christian, to start reciting the truth of God's word so to give him a sense of momentum and faith and that's when God begins to honor that step. People, they saturate themselves with their failures and retrace their steps daily into their past misfortunes. Oh, I won't ask for a show of hands this morning because if you're honest, every one of us would put our hand up. Saturate yourself with your failures, retracing your step. To forget is the great secret of strong and creative character. To forget as nature does. You see the trees, then they lose their leaves. They just forget about it. Spring's coming. Hallelujah. I said, spring's coming. Oh, but it looks so beautiful there during the summer, all those leaves. And oh, I had the bloomage. And uh, it was the nicest tree in the forest. And now the leaves fall off. Oh, forget about it. It's going to come back. Amen. You know, Christians, sometimes you're going to have to just forget about it. You don't have to throw it off. You have to stop living here. You don't have to come up, come up with it. You don't even have to invent your own apodigums. Just start reading the word of God. Hallelujah. Take what God says about the situation. It's universal, the failure and fallings of all of us, but we don't look at them, we look at him. <laughs> you start looking at that, you're never going to make progress. You're never getting beyond. Oh, you're going to be sitting there saying, oh, no, God, this won't work out. My first marriage didn't work out. My second one, that's rubbish in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, I've, you know, I've backslidden before and I come to the altar and I, oh, I don't know. Listen, you're not listening to that rubbish. God's put his hand upon you. Amen. He's not lifting it off you. Just because you've had a bad, de- bad week, month, year, 10 years, it doesn't matter. He's watching the horizon for the prodigal all the time with nothing but love and kindness in his heart. Don't fall into the temptation of making the past the standard and to cut down all the possibilities of the present and the future. But you know, for many of us, and I understand that some of us are so scarred mentally and emotionally by our failures and maybe other people's failures. Some here this morning, you find it hard to grow because of what happened to you as a child. You could have been abused, beaten up, neglected. Maybe some this morning you're carrying your hurt because of a spouse. What they did to you is so awful that it, it, you find forgiveness difficult. Maybe some of you are just looking at your own life and saying, I'm the biggest mess in the church in this world. The chief sinner, as Paul said of himself, I'm the chief of sinners. I said, Paul, you never got to meet me yet. You, know, <laughs> you wouldn't be saying that today. And sometimes we need a touch from God. Sometimes you say, look, pastor, I receive it, but I need a touch. And I want to tell you, there's, there's a leaf of grace in God. Now, the leaf was, the leaf was a, a, a Greek mythological river. And they searched for this river. And it was the river that if someone found it eventually, they could drink of this river and forget all the painful things that happened to them. And all the painful things that determined who they were as they saw it. I want to tell you there is a river this morning for you to drink from again, to forget all your failures, both past and even right now, 
There is a place for you to go in God where God can touch you because you are not going to be able to press forward until you shed those things of the past. You cannot be carrying your past addictions, your upbringing, what my dad did say to me, what my mom did say to me, how I was treated and not treated. You cannot let that determine you. You cannot let your own failures determine you. You have to come and say, Lord, I need you to touch me this morning with the length of your grace, oh God. That, oh God, the grace of God would extend in a way that all of a sudden, Father, what all those evil things I did or were done to me are forgotten in the name, they're repented of, they're in the sea of forgetfulness. And so I, I want to move forward because that's the only way you can move forward otherwise you're always just anchored to the wall you can't get any further you're hurting yourself trying to move forward but there is a touch for you today there is a move that the holy spirit the holy spirit of god is here this morning the sweetness of his presence has been amongst us and the need of god we may drink and forget a painful a painful and imperfect past god separates us from that which was ourselves Hallelujah. God separates us from that which was ourselves. It's no longer I that lives now, but Christ that lives in me. You're not seeing an old man, you're seeing a new man, a new nature. This is not hyperbole, friends. This is not some sort of stuff that we just tell you. This is a living reality. The presence of God has come into the earthen vessel, and it's he who sanctifies this vessel, not me. He sanctifies me. <coughs> God creates a new man to which the old one is a stranger. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The old me is such a stranger. He does, I don't know how on earth he does. He looks like me. He's fat. He's quite handsome. But it's not. Someone else is living in me. Someone else has brought something. He creates that new man. For him, there is no crime that cannot be blotted out. The past can swallow up nothing. Can you say amen? Oh, I tell you, it can, friends. It can't swallow up anything. If you start to think in your heart right now, it can, then you're changed. You need a touch from the Holy Spirit. We're going to pray in a moment for that. We're going to go to an altar for those who need that touch from the Lord because I believe that those strongholds exist. You know, strongholds, I've preached to you before, they're defensive situations. They're, they're a defensive structure. A stronghold isn't something that you, that you attack out from. A, a stronghold is something that you defend. And many of you are defending things about yourselves that are not true. It's not true. But you defend it as if it's a new doctrine. I'll always be like I am. This is my DNA. This is what I am. I've done it all my life. I'll never be any different. That's a stronghold. And the Apostle Paul says, you must tear down the strongholds. And the false arguments that go around them. And the false belief systems. Because the Bible says that God be true and every man be a liar. And that means me and you. He's true. His word is true. And anything that convenes that, contravenes that is a life in the pit of hell or for my flesh. The apostle Peter had to forget his awful past. Betraying the Lord. After walking with him for three years. Walking on water, performing miracles himself, seeing miracles of the Savior, feeding thousands of people out of a few crummy loaves of bread and a few fish, seeing him calm storms and heal the leper and open the blind eyes and then stop the ears and raise the dead. He saw it all, friends. He saw things that you and I, you think that, hey, I see that, I would never be but anything but a woman or a man of faith. Oh, but then he came to a place of massive failure and his extrovert character amplified it to a whole new level where with oaths and curses. 
Can you imagine cursing Jesus in front of these people? I don't know the beep, 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 beep. Never seen that beep, beep, beep before. Oh, nothing to do with me. And you know, you can imagine the slump that he said, I will never, ever recover from this. You know, you might have denied him, you, you know, but you never even had what Peter had. The closeness of three years billeting with Christ, waking up in the same quarters. Morning, Jesus. You look great this morning. Let's go have breakfast. Oh, Jesus, what are you going to do to listen to the teaching? My gosh, the presence of God that he experienced, the glory of God, the Mount of Transfiguration. Come on, friends. And yet, he has to, if he is going to move forward, if he's going to press on forward, he has to forget what happened behind. He cannot, the rest of his day, be defined by that. And if you're defined by a yesterday event, friends, I want to tell you that's not the will of God for you. I took a men's breakfast morning. He came in, Christ ministered to him. Whatever your past, whatever your failures, forget them. Look to Jesus. Forget them. Press towards the mark. That's the translation I actually wanted to get. One thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching towards those things which are ahead, I press towards the goal they have in the New King James. The mark is the Old King James, and the mark is a better word in the Greek as well. Because when you look at that, they translate it to gold, but the word mark is a Greek word. And it's, it's, he's saying, the mark is when you find something, like an archaeologist that's, that's, that finds a, a, an area that they want to dig, or some guy's looking for gold, and all of a sudden they find a spot where they're going to dig for it. The mark is where you put the marker down. That's the dig. Right under there is the gold. And I want to tell you, friends, keep your eye on the dig. And start digging. Keep your eye on the mark. <laughs> the prize is there. The high calling of the Lord. If your past is too painful to forget, then I want to tell you something that will help you to forget. I want you to remember Calvary. I want you to remember the head that was crowned with thorns. The back that was opened up with the cat of nine tails when they beat him mercilessly in the praetorium. This was before even, but, and then put a crown of thorns in his head. And then forced him to carry a cross where they stripped him naked and then they put steel through his hands and his feet. Hung him on a cross. Spat at him, laughed at him, loaded over him, cursed him, blasphemed him. He died a cruel and awful death. And I want to ask you this, what have you ever done? that could eclipse the power of that cross. I want to tell you right now, nothing. Nothing is greater than Calvary. Nothing is greater than the blood of Jesus. Nothing is greater than the love of God. And so if you are struggling with your past, it's because you haven't looked enough to Calvary. Because if you would surely consider, consider him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrow, created with with grief, like one that we would hide our faces from. We consider him stricken of God and abandoned, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was wounded for what you think you can't be healed of. He was wounded for that which you th think you can't be delivered for. Are you telling me he didn't pay enough for your deliverance, for your cleansing, for your forgiveness? That would be the greatest sin that you would have committed then, to not believe that Calvary is enough. 
to not believe that the blood is enough, to not believe that God accepted everything that Jesus did, and it's enough to cover your awful past and your weaknesses. Look to Calvary. Look to Calvary. You know, we can fall into it. We can fail as Christians. So often when we break bread, come around the cross, it can become a little bit of a ritual. I don't believe it always is that way. I think most of the times it's genuine. But there's times of great revelation. There's times when the Holy Spirit just comes down and drops into your spirit the enormity of what we're actually doing. And there are extraordinary times when in the house when we break bread, but you sense something fresh about that. You know, if you're going to move forward and forget what lies behind, you're going to need that touch of God today. You need that touch that Calvary would start to minister to your heart. If you want to move forward because you can't forget, then come to the fountain of his love. Drink and forget all the past failures. Drink of the lethe of God. If you can't move forward because you have made the past the standard, then you need to look to Jesus. Last scripture. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of majesty. For consider him who endured such hostility from us sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged to your soul. Jesus had to press through, didn't he? But for Jesus to press through, he had to forget what Peter did to him, Judas did to him, how all his disciples left him, how everybody abandoned him, and all those people that he healed, none, none of them stood up for him. None of them were the, you know, going to Pilate and say, hey, hey, leave this guy, go, he healed me. He, everybody abandoned him. So he had to forget what lay behind and he pressed through because of the joy was you and me. And I want to tell you, church, this morning, you have every right to press through and press on. Every right this morning to drink of that heavenly leaf, that graceful river of God. You have every right to come into victory. You have every right to move forward. Why? Because it's my right. No, it's a right that's been given to you because it was hard-earned and hard-fought for in the body of our Savior. Our Savior was brutalized. The cross tells you the brutality of what he endured for us. Now, I don't know where you've been, what you've done, and I don't really care because it doesn't matter. What matters is the new man, the new nature, the new life. What matters is you embracing that identity. And then you can forget all that nonsense and you can move on to the high calling and move into somewhere that you've never been in God. Achieve something that you've never achieved in God. And as you become an older person and then an old man, an old woman, you can look back and say, I've run the race, I've fought the fight, I've kept the faith. Woohoo! And the best is yet to come. Promotion, heaven, eternity with him. You know, would you stand with me this morning? We're going to sing, but we're also going to leave the altar open here. We're only going to be about five or six more minutes, I promise you, so please not... Please don't have a lot of movement out of the, at this very important time. I understand more than most of how your past can 
so affect your thinking and how it can define you. But I also know, and I won't say more than most because I don't know, but I also know from my own experience that you can come to a fountain. You can drink at the fountain of his grace. And the Holy Spirit would honor that. And he'll speak a word into your heart and say, it's forgiven. It's finished. That's the past. That's under the blood. Hallelujah, exactly. And there's a liberty for you. And there's a, a joy in moving forward. And you should be like the, 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 the cattle that's in the stall. Hearing me, will tell you what that means. If you're one of these city slickers, you don't know those metaphors. When you see these small little calves that are, that are born in the, in the stall, they can barely move. But when they let out, they're kicking and they're jumping and they're skipping around, you know. And that's what we should be. We should be kicking and jumping and skipping around because we have drank from the leaf of heaven. We have a past that's gone and a future that's open. As we worship the Lord this morning, if you want to, we will lay hands and pray because some of you, it needs to be broken. It needs to be broken. This, this definition needs to be broken. And you need to come with faith in your heart, not expecting Harry Potter. No Harry Potter's up here. We're not going to wave a stick over you. Ghost. You have to come with faith in your heart. Hear the word of the Lord and the faith this morning. We would pray and stand with you. And God would just move you from that past definition where it's blinding you now and you move into the fullness of God. I promise you, Christian, you have to shed that past definition. You have to. You're not going to be able to press on until you forget forget all those things and don't and break the chain and then start to move freely and move forward into everything God has for you hallelujah close your eyes raise your hands as we worship come forward for prayer if the Holy Spirit has put on your heart and, and, and those of you who do come forward the rest just pray Lord break the chains over them in the name of Jesus break the chains Lord break the chains oh God break them free of that past thinking hallelujah hallelujah Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for tuning in with us today. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cork Church. Also, make sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions at all, you can email us info at corkchurch.com or just check out our website, www.corkchurch.com. Again, thank you for tuning in and see you next time. God bless.